the Medical School HQ podcast, session number 72. It really is. I mean, you have to look in your heart and, and, and ask yourself, what would you really, what do you really want to do? And don't worry so much what, you're, what other people may say about your choice. Hey, this is Z-Dog MD, rapper, physician, legendary turntable health revolutionary, and part-time gardener. And you're listening to the Medical School HQ podcast, hosted by the irredeemably awesome Ryan Gray. Welcome back. I am your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and I believe that competition amongst your pre-med and medical student peers is detrimental to becoming a great physician. In this podcast, we show you how collaboration, hard work, and honesty are critical to becoming a superior physician in today's healthcare environment. Before we get started with this podcast, I am excited to announce that the Princeton Review has decided to support us and support you by offering an amazing exclusive discount to the Medical School HQ podcast listeners. That's you. For the month of April, when you use the code MSHQ4, the number four, you will save $225 off the Princeton Review's MCAT Ultimate Classroom or MCAT Ultimate Live Online course. Using that code not only gets you the best discount available, but also helps support our podcast. Thank you to the Princeton Review for your continued support. I also wanted to talk for a second about the Academy at the Medical School Headquarters, an online membership site to help you through the pre-med and medical school process. With live monthly video question and answer sessions, monthly live webinars covering everything from the MCAT to financial aid, you can't afford not to join. Start investing in your future now and join the Academy. One of our charter members, Grace, had this to say about her experiences with the Academy. And I watched some of the office hours uh, through the Academy. And just, I don't know, I guess it just makes me more determined to become a doctor because you guys make it seem more, like, possible, I guess. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like an impossible dream. Come join Grace, Allison, myself, and so many other great minds and join the Academy today. Go to jointheacademy.net to sign up. I'm excited to announce the guest for today. Our guest is Dr. Al Sandrock. He is the Chief Medical Officer and Senior Vice President of Development Sciences at Biogen IDIC, overseeing clinical development in neurological and immunological diseases global regulatory affairs, global safety and benefit risk management, global clinical development operations, and biometrics. During this podcast, you will hear Dr. Sandrak talk about his journey into the pharmaceutical industry, why he thinks the pharmaceutical industry gets such a bad rap from other physicians, and what you, as a student, can start doing to get some experience in the industry. Dr. Sandrak, thank you for taking some time to talk to us today. Who gave you the initial drive and passion for medicine? I think I did get it from my parents, where uh, my parents really highly respected physicians. Um, and uh, I came, on both sides of my family, um, I mean, no, uh, my dad didn't even go to high school. Um, he, But he went to see when he was 16 years old, ended up in... Uh, 
um, working on ships, and then he ended up becoming the ship's captain, and he used to always proudly say that when you're the ship's captain and you're out at sea, you're also like everybody's doctor, too, because if there's a medical emergency, the captain has to take care of it. And he always found that um, very gratifying to help his shipmates out at sea. So, uh, and then my mother, uh, uh, I think she did go to high school, but she's Japanese, and uh, and she did go to a, a special school for, for women, I think, but she, al- she also highly respected physicians. So um, that must have influenced me, and, and, and I think even before I went to college, I kind of had a feeling I wanted to be a doctor. Okay, and then you you went to Stanford. Did you go to Stanford with the the thought that okay, I'm I'm going to be pre med now? Yeah, I, I identified myself as a pre med really early on, did not realizing that there would be a certain stigma attached to me uh, uh, for for having identified myself as a pre med, but but I did. There there was a stigma. I'm not dating you here, but there was a stigma even back then about being pre med and wanting to go to medical school. Oh yeah, oh yeah. What did that involve? Well, I mean, you know, you were—I uh, don't know—you had you you had closed your mind to other possibilities. Uh, you know, I attended. You know, my first uh, chemistry class was 200 people, and I'd say 95% were free meds. And uh, I remember the, the the teaching fellow saying derisively, oh, "I've got to teach all these pre meds," and uh, None of them are really interested in chemistry. It's just a, a route to uh, becoming a doctor. I don't know. It just There was a pretty negative stigma associated with it. Wow. It's interesting because it, there is still a stigma these days, and you would think at some point we'd go, you know what, we need doctors, so let's help them out as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I thought maybe the stigma had lessened, but uh, oh well. Oh <laughs> well. So you go through Stanford, uh, did you immediately apply uh, to medical school at that point? Yeah, so at Stanford, I got very interested in actually psychiatry because I heard a lecture uh, in my human biology course about how uh, psychiatric diseases are caused by by chemical imbalances in the brain and that neurotransmitters look a lot like uh, you know, structurally are closely related to not only recreational drugs, but, but medicines that are used to treat uh, important illnesses. So, so I started working in a lab. A psychi- I worked for a child psychiatrist and uh, ended up uh, working on uh, an enzyme that uh, was in the catecholamine uh, pathway. So I went to medical school. I applied right away to medical school. I applied to some MD-PhD programs. Uh, uh, and uh, at Harvard, though, you couldn't apply directly to the MD-PhD program. You had to be, you had to go to medical school first and apply to the MD-PhD program after a couple of years. Well, you could enter it after two years. So you had to apply during your first year, which I did. Okay. So it sounds like possibly from a in an early on period you, you kind of had this interest in the the more of the medication side of things and developing products and and pharmaceutical uh 
interventions for different diseases. It sounds like that was an an early interest for you. Well, I wanted to I wanted to cure diseases, you know. Yeah, and, and that's and, what all physicians want to do. Yeah, and then I and then I went and just before I started med school, uh, I was um, in New Orleans visiting my my dad. My dad's from New Orleans, so he has. So we have a lot of relatives in New Orleans, and I remember uh, one day, it was the summertime before starting college, actually, um, that my uh, uncle died suddenly of a, heart, of a heart attack, and he was a fairly young man, and I, I felt there, that was a defining moment for me because, you know, I had a lot of questions as to why why he had to die, and uh, and so I felt like there was a lot of room to improve in medicine, <laughs> and so that's sort of what drove me, I think. Okay. When when you started on your journey into the MD-PhD realm, did at that point, were you exposed to the pharmaceutical side of things, or were you still naive to that, and you, you knew you liked research, um, and you just wanted to use that part of it? I was pretty naive to it. Um, it, it. There was some exposure to the pharmaceutical side of things, and, and it was related to uh, a lecture we got on infectious diseases, as I recall. And uh, at Harvard, there was a very strong anti-pharma sentiment. And I remember uh, a, a relatively well-known infectious disease specialist talking about antibiotics. I think it was during my pharmacology uh, lecture, uh, uh, pharmacology course, which I think was in early in my second year. And he talked about all these different antibiotics and how you had to keep making new ones because bacteria became resistant. And then there was a, a, a medical student in the front row. I remember a woman who, who I think yelled at him almost saying, like, are you paid by pharmaceutical companies and you know how much pharmaceutical companies make uh, or spend on marketing and I remember it was a quite a tense moment in the class and uh, and so then there was a strong negative view in the meantime I started dating uh, the woman that became my future wife whose dad worked at Lilly Eli Lilly and he started telling me how Harvard medical students had uh, actually burned uh, the medicine, the, the the medical bags that Lily used to um, <laughs> donate to Harvard medical students. Yeah, they had apparently burned a whole bunch of these gifts uh, on the quad <laughs> the year or t- uh, one or two years before. So I had heard about the anti-pharma sentiment, which surprised me a little bit, as I recall, um, because I thought that. Uh, I didn't realize that was that existed, you know. Uh, since you brought it up, I, I was going to talk about it a little later. But now that you brought it up, this this anti pharma sentiment, or, or I've heard physicians talk about it as going to the dark side. Why do you think that is uh, still around at this point? Well, I think a lot of well, you know, I even joked when I came to Biogen that I was going to the dark side with my academic colleagues. So um, um, I think that 
first of all, I think there's a lot, there's a lack of knowledge of what actually happens in a biotech or pharma company. Uh, and uh, I think that most people, well, here's my theory that, you know, we are a for-profit company and the idea that you would try to make profits from sick people just seems wrong to a lot of people. That right, you can't even get off the first page. That that you should not be exploiting somebody's illness to make money. I think that's where it comes from. Okay, that's that's. I don't know, but do you agree with that? You know what? I don't think I've spent too much time thinking about it because, as a physician, you rely on pharmaceuticals to treat patients. So. In the world that we live in, in a capitalist world that we live in, companies are built to make money. And if you're making money, great. But if you're saving lives, even better. So I, I don't, I don't come from it as a, as a more of a anti pharma uh, idea. Yeah, but I, but I think, yeah, I think I, I, I think about it the same way you do. You know, I justify. Uh, the fact that we make a profit by saying that we don't make a profit unless we make a drug that's worthwhile. And so by making a drug that worthwhile, that's worthwhile for people, um, we make money uh, as a result of that. I don't see that that's hurting anybody. In fact, I think it's helping people. But but anyway, but it, so but you asked me where the anti from a sentiment came from, and I gave you one theory. It could be wrong, though. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, it's probably a good theory. So, you you completed your MD-PhD. Yeah. Uh, what did you do your residency in? What are you trained in? Yeah, I'm a neurologist, so I did, I did one year of internal medicine and then did three years of neurology. Okay. And did you continue to practice clinical medicine at that point, or did you... Have that urge yep. to jump straight into pharmaceutical? No, no, I did. Uh, I did a fellowship in neuromuscular disease, and I also trained in uh, electromyography, and I got board certified in neurology and electrodiagnostic medicine. Um, I I uh, became an instructor in neurology at Harvard, and then I decided to do a postdoc. Uh, at Harvard uh, to to continue my laboratory sort of training um, while I was an instructor uh, in in neurology at Mass General. So I would go to Mass General for a day to see patients and spend the other four days a week in the lab. And I did that for about five years, or four years, I think, four or five years. Uh, And then I uh, became assistant professor and uh, started a lab at Mass General and became, and then was on the staff at Mass General Hospital and saw patients two half days a week, one, one half day of clinic and then the other half day doing uh, EMG or, or, or supervising fellows doing EMG. And then I would do one month a year as a ward attending and then be on call every now and then um, uh, when I was the attending on call for the emergency room. So I continued clinical medicine, but it was not full-time. It was mixed with uh, with laboratory work and also teaching. Okay. 
So at, at what point, and maybe this is where we start to kind of translate it into somebody listening who might be in that same situation that you were in, at what point did you start to dip your toes into the pharmaceutical industry and, and get exposure to that and start thinking about going over there? Well, when, uh, so if, while I was doing my postdoc, um, I met a guy who was not only a, uh, a physician and neuroscientist, but also an electrical engineer and a really smart guy. And we ended up becoming lab partners and worked on a, a project together. And he actually, I had to do some recordings from animals, uh, uh, elect, you know, uh, elect neurophysiological recordings from animals. And, and he was un- unbelievable because instead of buying um, an EMG machine or whatever or, or a neurostimulator, he just made one. You know, he just bought the parts, put it together, and com- programmed a computer to, to actually uh, to do it. But anyway, he ended up starting a company called Neurometrics. Um, and he asked me to be on the scientific advisory board of it, of a, of a one-person company. <laughs> we actually, I tried to help him. We actually worked together on developing a prototype for his first product, which was a little uh, uh, point-of-care device that could measure nerve conduction in the median nerve and, and therefore diagnose carpal tunnel syndrome. Uh, and, then, and then we were using the, the standard EMG as the gold standard and comparing his device with, with the sort of the, the gold standard that we used in the clinic that we used in the clinic back then. So in the context of that, uh, I got intrigued by the idea of making products, working with him on that. And then we also had to go and shop our device around uh, with some other pharmaceutical companies. Uh, I distinctly remember a trip to Pfizer uh, in Connecticut, in Groton, Connecticut, and uh, meeting some uh, people there who were unbelievably smart. Um, And not only were they smart, I liked the fact that they were very goal-oriented. I mean, they wanted to get stuff done and and get it done uh, quickly and uh, with high quality. So, so, there, so in the context of that, you know, I learned, first of all, that unlike what I was led to believe uh, during my academic training, there are smart people outside of Harvard, <laughs> and actually there are smart people in a pharmaceutical company. And not only are they smart, they're working together in teams uh, toward common goals, which usually meant making a product. And I felt... Um, working with my friend there and with and learning about what people at Pfizer were doing, that there was a lot of satisfaction in making a product uh, in a team setting. Interesting. So that's what that's what got me interested in thinking about industry. And then in the meantime, I had a good friend, a colleague who was also a resident with me at Mass General in neurology, and she moved over to Biogen and uh, was working at Biogen, and, and uh, she seemed very, very happy. <laughs> uh, and her husband was also in, in, uh, had moved to industry, and he was a neurologist. He was our senior resident, so he was two years ahead of us, and he was talking about how great industry was. So all these things were happening where 
where I was getting exposed to industry in a very limited way, of course. Um, and then I was, some of my colleagues had moved to industry and seemed to be having a great time and, and really, you know, really, uh, I don't know, they felt like they were finally doing something that, that they wanted to do and were trained to do. Okay. And and uh, and so I and in the con in that background, my 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 then wife actually was looking at the, she's a physician too and she was looking at the New England Journal and there was an ad from Biogen saying we need a neurologist with five years of research training in neuro in neuroscience at Biogen. And by the way, Biogen's a company that just. Uh, introduced a new drug for MS called interferon beta. So that caught her interest and she gave it to me to, to look at the ad. And I, my first reaction was, why would I look at Biogen? I'm, I'm pretty happy at Mass General and at Harvard and I just got my lab started. But I did, uh, I did uh, respond to the ad and sent in my CV and one thing led to another, and I found myself interviewing here. And that was back at, at, in what year? That, well, it was 1997. Wow. And have you been there ever since? I joined in February of 1998, and I've been here ever since, yep. Wow. So obviously you've liked it. Yeah, I, you know, and when I interviewed here, I met people, again, very similar to the kinds of people that I had met at Pfizer and that, um, you know, um, and they, uh, it was seemed like a very exciting place. And it was a company that had made a commitment to, neuro to neurology, uh, you know, not only because they were looking for a neurologist, but also because they had a product for multiple sclerosis. So, so it was it's, it was very interesting to me, but I have to tell you, it took me four or five months to make the final decision because it was a scary leap. You know, it was the dark side. It was a world that I didn't really know as well as academia or academic medicine, and I I knew I could do well in academic medicine, but I had no idea I would do well in biotech. So it was a scary jump, and uh, it was not consistent with sort of the dream that I had, I think, growing up. You know, I think I had all, I don't know, at one point, probably while I was at Stanford as an undergraduate, I had imagined that I would be an academic, I would be in academic medicine. But um, so going to industry seemed to be divergent from my original uh, thinking about my career. So, so it was scary from all those points of view, but I made the leap anyway. When during those four or five months where you were deciding, did you seek counsel from colleagues and, and what was their response? Yeah, I sought counsel from many colleagues, mostly colleagues in academia, because that's who I knew. And the response was mixed. First of all, there was violent well, there were there were a lot of people who felt that I was making a big mistake by going including the chairman of neurology at Mass General, who said it was a big mistake, that those jobs are always available, and that why would you, why would you do that? One colleague in, uh, at Mass General even said, 
said that I would be committing, I would be undergoing apoptosis, you know, programmed cell death. That it was equivalent to death going to, to bio, biotech. But, but some of my other mentors, like the guy that I did um, the postdoc with, who I admire greatly, Jerry Fishbach, quintessential academic, as well as many of the, the professors that, I, that were my, my teachers during grad school, quintessential Harvard academics, you know, they were not so negative. They said, you know, there's a lot of good stuff going there, and if that's what interests you, you know, you can make. You know, you should go wherever you feel you can make a good contribution. Uh, and uh, and and so uh, that was intriguing to me. Moreover, uh, you know, Biogen was just across the river from Mass General, so it wasn't like I was going to have to move my family. And and, uh, and I actually kept my Harvard appointment, kept it for until I think a couple of years ago, in fact. So. I could have gone back if things were terrible. So there was a bit of a lifeline back, although, you know, it's never good to uh, leave and then try to come back. So I knew that it was it was still a big decision. But, but yeah, there was a lot of... There was, I was surprised at how negative a lot of people were. But, but also surprised, pleasantly surprised, that some of the, uh, the older professors, people who I never would have imagined... Would have been um, would have been open to the idea of my going. Uh, they were actually uh, encouraging, and thought it was very brave of me to even consider it. Good. So let's talk about some of the opportunities for a somebody that's on their path right now. Maybe they're in medical school. Maybe they're even just a pre med at this point. What are some of the opportunities that? Once they're a physician, uh, what what opportunities are there in industry for physicians? Well, first of all, if you want to dip your toe in it, um, we have fellowship programs. We have two fellows now from Mass General uh, from the neurology department. We set up what's called the Ann Young uh, Fellowship. So uh, they work sort of, uh, they have one foot in the back at uh, at Mass General and one foot here, working on some things that are uh, um, of interest to both places. So um, I don't know whether they'll end up coming to uh, uh, biotech or not, but um, they are certainly getting a feel for what it's like here. What what stage are they in? Are they residents? Are they attendings? They finish their residency and their fellows. Okay, so they're they're tra- uh, like a traditional fellow. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, you know, and, 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 and even earlier, if you're uh, like a medical, if you're a medical student or if you're an undergraduate, um, you, we have summer internships. Uh, we have some, some, we have some, we have a number of summer interns that come through here, um, from, uh, uh college. And what, um, what are they typically doing during a summer internship? They're either working in the lab or they're working with one of the clinicians here on clinical trials or improving outcomes or looking at imaging um, as uh, outcome measures, things like that. Okay. Once 
Once a, a physician is out practicing and is interested possibly in going into industry, is it is it something where you have to be die hard for the research side of things or are there other opportunities in industry for non-research buffs maybe like myself yeah no i mean you can go first of all you can go right to you know there there is a path where you can work in the research lab we call that discovery or 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 we call it research you know r&d research and then there's the development side the d side of r&d where um, we take compounds that have drug candidates that have been nominated to go into the clinic, and um, and then you know after we do the animal the the toxicology studies in animals, we start phase one phase and we do the phase one trials, phase two trials, and phase three trials, and that's all done the, um, by a whole team of people. But uh, we, all, we typically have a physician um, lead those teams. There, there's Right now at Biogen, there's three general groups that MDs work in. One is people uh, is in that development group that I just told you about. Some people call it clinical development. But uh, the, uh, the other is drug safety. So, you know, as we go through the various phases and even after we put a drug on the market, we're assessing safety. And uh, and physicians work in our, there are many physicians who work in our drug safety group. Uh, and then and then after we market a drug, there's a group uh, uh, of physicians that work in what's called medical affairs, where they um, they they uh, help doctors understand how to use the drug and understand better like what 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 are still the gaps in knowledge about our drug that could help uh, physicians use it better in practice and better help their patients. So those are the three general areas that, that physicians uh, work in at, Bi- at Biogen. In some other companies, physicians also work in the regulatory affairs department where, where you know, as we go through these various stages of drug development, uh, you know, all that's done in a regulated environment, so we have to interact with regulators not only in the U.S., but also Europe and, and Asia. And, uh, and then, of course, at the end, hopefully if your drug is successful in phase three, you seek approval. There's a lot of touch points with regulators, and we have a, a regulatory affairs group. We don't have any physicians currently in that role now, but, um, but in many companies there are physicians in, reg- in the regulatory group. So it sounds so you can use your you can use your MD in, in multiple ways uh, in a company, just as you can uh, in academia. Yeah, and, and that's exactly I think the the picture that I wanted to paint, and and we've told before is once you get that MD or, or DO, there are so many doors that are open to you, and and it sounds like it's the same in in the pharmaceutical industry as well. Yeah, and by the way, when 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 we interface with FDA or the European Medicines Agency or the, the Japanese uh, regulatory agency, we're almost always interfacing with MDs on the other side. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, that, that's another uh, route. Um, if you're interested in the industry, but from the regulatory side, you can actually be, be part of the regulatory authority. Great. Once a physician tests those waters, do you have uh, physicians that work at Biogen that continue to practice clinical medicine? 
Yeah, in fact, um, I used to still go and uh, see patients um, or, or actually was an attending in the residence clinic for 10 years after I moved here, uh, half a day a week. And many of my colleagues still do that. Some actually uh, keep their clinic going. I didn't keep my clinic going because I thought it would be too difficult to do, but I did attend in the residence clinic, which was great because you know, I don't know whether the residents learned from me, but I certainly learned a lot from the residents. They kept me up to date on what was going on in neurology, so it was it was good. And 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 you know, we encourage that Abijan, uh because I think he keeps you current. Definitely. Well, Al, do you have any parting words of wisdom for for a, a student on their journey and and the hurdles that they have ahead of them and uh, what they should be doing, maybe if they're interested in in the industry? I think, um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if there are words of wisdom, but I would say that you got to follow what, you got to do what you really want to do. You got to follow your, you know, we use the word passion. I think we overuse it these days, but it really is. I mean, you have to look in your heart and, and, and ask yourself, what would you really, what do you really want to do? And don't worry so much what, you're, what other people may say about your choice. Look into your heart and do what you what will make you happy and productive and um, and and, uh, and don't worry about what others say. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode talking to Dr. Al Sandrock about the pharmaceutical industry and kind of opening up your eyes to what else you can do as a physician. And you don't necessarily have to be an MD, PhD, Dr. Sandrock is, but you don't have to be to get involved in the pharmaceutical industry. So if you're interested in that, there's, there are many ways to start looking. And uh, Dr. Sandrock talked about some of those as far as the summer internships. So thank you, Dr. Sandrock, for taking the time to teach us a little bit about that. Before we close out here today, I do want to thank... Several people that have left us five-star ratings and reviews in iTunes. I like to thank those that do uh, personally because it helps the podcast tremendously in iTunes. So if you haven't done that yet, if you go to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes, there you can leave us a rating interview. It takes a couple minutes and helps us tremendously. I want to thank Guy Giddy says awesomeness. Jamie Elise says amazing. Kaiser MD says we are a great resource. And wow, Agni Zaka 020 says it's a great podcast. We have uh, many more since the last couple weeks. We haven't listed anybody, haven't uh, thanked anybody. And that's because our last couple podcasts were actually pre-recorded since Allison and I uh, were enjoying the birth of our first baby. We pre-recorded some podcasts so that we were able to get them out on time to you. And so now we're catching up on some of these awesome ratings and reviews. So thank you to those four people. I have uh, many more to thank next week. If you want to say hello to us, want to congratulate us on having our baby, we're on Twitter. I am at MedicalSchoolHQ. Allison is at Allison underscore MSHQ. 
You can just shoot me an email. I'm ryan at medicalschoolhq.net to say hello. I also do want to remind you that we have an awesome new 30-plus page report on the most important pieces of the MCAT. You can get that at freemcatgift.com to download. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and everything we offered. I hope you learned something, and I hope you join us next time here at the Medical School Headquarters.